Hey, Three Crosses family, a huge shout out to everybody who's been listening to the Going Deeper podcast. My name is Pastor AJ. I oversee life groups and discipleship here at Three Crosses, and we are in the middle of our Explore God series. We've been having great conversations, so if you haven't been able to join us, feel free to join us on Wednesday nights from 6.30 to 8 to discuss more on the topic at hand. You're going to have some great conversations, and you're going to meet some people along the way. Well, today we are rebroadcasting an incredibly, quote unquote, hot topic. Why would a loving God send people to hell? We've got a great conversation in store for all of you guys. And so without further ado, let's go deeper. All right, you ready? My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at Three Crosses. And just, I just want to thank you for being here tonight and engaging with this. It's been really fun, I'll just say as an aside, um, seeing this kind of like the little community that's forming in here and the group of people that I just see week in and week out coming and, you know, asking these questions, some of you, for because you're not sure what you think about God yet. You are really doing what we're talking about. We're exploring God. Some of you know God for a long time. You've walked with him uh, for years and years and decades, and you want to just know more. You want to be armed with the ants, some of the answers or be able to think critically and think thoughtfully and think biblically about what we believe. And so I'm just so glad that you're here and just good to be with you all in this place. It's great to ask tough questions and not always get every bit of the answer that we want. So yeah, thanks. I'm Hannah. I'm the outreach director. That's good. My name is Ashley and I'm the director of Cafe 4. And I'm Patty, director of care and equipping. Shout out to Zoe out there who jumped in to help with my daughter. So if I have to run out, you'll know why. Yes. Um, so we're, we talked this week, we talked about um, why would a loving God send people to hell? That was the question that we were talking about. And, you know, sometimes like maybe, maybe you haven't really wrestled with that idea and that thought about hell, but, uh, but Austin Payne came in. He's going to be, by the way, Austin is going to be our new uh, youth Student Ministries Director, uh, really overseeing our high school ministries, be coming on in January, and he made lots of, made the comments about, hey, it's his first week, it's his first opportunity to get to know the people of our church, and we gave him a tough topic to handle, but he did like, an, he did an amazing job going through the scriptures, going through some of these arguments, and he talked about a little bit about how this has been one of the, the most challenging questions that really, the most challenging doctrines that we have as believers, that people have really wrestled with the idea of hell throughout all of church history, thinking about back to uh, uh, Augustine, thinking about, uh, he quoted from C.S. Lewis that Lewis would say, like, if there was one doctrine, that should, if, if I could get rid of one, just choose one, I would get rid of hell. But we talked about this problem, the topic of hell, and we also, like, whenever you're talking about hell, you kind of get into the zone about the problem of evil. And we had to, Austin took us on this journey to recognize the problem of evil and the reality of evil. And Austin started by talking about even inwardly in our own hearts that we know at the end of the day, maybe you can't get to the place, maybe some of us wouldn't say that we are evil, but I think most of us, when we're really honest with ourselves, know that we are not fully good. And maybe when we get down to it even a little bit deeper, we realize we're not very good at all, and maybe we couldn't even classify ourselves as good. Uh, Austin, an incredible book. Someone's going to have to help me on the title by Rebecca McLaughlin. 
Confronting Christianity. An incredible book. Austin referenced her chapter from her chapter about hell. It's chapter twelve. If you want to read that, but I would recommend. I have not read the whole book, but every part that I have, every chapter I've read has been incredible. So I plan on finishing it. Um, a great book. Uh, all the kind of a lot of these questions that we've been wrestling with. Um, but McLaughlin talked about you know even this idea, which many people have thought about uh, talked about before. But if you had a transcript that's being broadcast on a screen of every thought that was going through your head. You think about every thought you have about your spouse, every thought you have about your kids, every thought you have about your friends, every thought you have about your boss. I think none of us in here, we would agree, we would want that thing broadcast. McLaughlin kind of talks about how her marriage, the marriages would be over, kids would be estranged, you would have no friends, you would be unemployed, all these different things, because we know really at the core of who we're being, what the scriptures even teach us is an idea of total depravity, that there's a corruption that exists in each and every one of us. And really when we encounter evil, it's not just an evil force, it's people perpetrating evil. And there's that wrestling match that we have. So we know that if we're honest with ourselves, that we're not we're definitely not fully good, and we know that we're actually capable and perpetrators in some way of evil. He also talks about, he also, Austin also reminded us to look at the world around us, and we know you look around, and that's, the saying is true, the world is going to hell. We look around, and you just see always throughout, throughout time and memoriam, wars, famines, uh, great atrocities. And that also in our human heart, there's this demand and desire for justice, a desire for wrongs to be made right, for righteous retribution. And really, in some ways, we all do desire a moral lawgiver. And now Austin kind of turned our attention to the idea that it's, sometimes it's hard to answer some of those questions. Like, why is it that way? What happens there? Like, in part of that, we could say it's our own free will and our choice and the things that we do, it's our own human hearts. Why does God allow that? And sometimes we don't, and you'll hear us tonight sometimes be able to say, like, we're not totally, we're not sure of the answer. If there was a good, you know, clean answer that satisfied everyone, we wouldn't have this panel. People wouldn't be asking these questions, and everyone would uh, be following God. One of the through lines that we've seen in, in our panel discussion and throughout this series is a lot of times there's these moments in everything, not just our experience with God, but in every situation, there's these moments of a leap of faith where it requires faith to continue on this journey. And these, this is one of those areas like any other. But we also see reflected in the scriptures over and over and over again that God's desire is that all would be saved. That hell wasn't created for us, it was created for the devil and his angels. It's not a place that he would want any of us to go, but he consistently has put into motion a plan to rescue us. He used this kind of picture of people going down a river towards a waterfall, and God's intent and purpose is to get people out of there. The cross of Christ is the means by which we can get out of that river and stand on the shore with God. And we, and those of us who call ourselves believers, that's what we've been commissioned to do, to take the good news of the gospel, to hopefully, by the power and strength of the Lord, by the influence and the ministry of the gospel, save some, save people that no one might perish, but all would have eternal life. That's God's heart for us. Okay. So that's where we started. We got a question. Um, why does an omnipotent, omniscient, and holy, good God allow evil in the world? Evil that is inflicted on the just 
and the unjust, upon infants and newborns alike. So just this big idea, like how does God, if he's really this, if he's really all-knowing, if he's really all-powerful, if he's really good, like, he's, like we say he is, like he says he is, how does he let this happen? How does he let it happen? He's looking at me. I'm looking at Patty. <laughs> because if he wiped out all evil in the world right now, we would all be gone. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that sounds like a trite or a joke, but it's actually very true for, for God to, you know, in the garden, we brought, we brought sin and brokenness into his world in rebellion. And for him to have rid it at that moment or to rid it at any point in time means that others cannot be redeemed. So God is slow and he is patient, not wanting any to perish. Um, it does kind of beg the question then, well, why did he create us? if he knew that there was already evil, that Satan fell before the creation of man, why would he then create us? And I, I think one of the things that we see, that there's some answers we cannot have all the, some questions we cannot have all the answers to, but the reality that it's absolutely stunning that we would sin and break his world. He created us knowing we would so that he could then, before the beginning of time, knew he would send his son so that we could see the extent of his goodness and love. So we flip that question upside down and we say, how can a good, omnipotent, holy God create heaven? Why would a, why would a good God be patient with us and what we've done with his world? So that first part of the question is evil in the world, to rid evil of the, in, out of the world would be to rid each, each one of us. Instead, he sends his son to live the life we couldn't live and to die the death that we deserve to give us a chance to have a life with him eternally that we were intended for it at the garden. Again, Sochanetzin says, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart. There was an interesting illustration of a uh, true life of Eichmann's trial, the architect behind the Holocaust, and one of the survivors who was there to testify fell apart, just broke down. And people were wondering if it was trauma response because of what he had experienced. And his reply about, I think it was 25 years later on a, um, on a, a 60 Minutes interview was, I knew at that moment I had the same heart as Eichmann. And so recognizing that the seed of evil that we see in the world resides in each one of us. And God is so patient, not, we don't know which, which Pauls, which Sauls are going to become Pauls. And God is patient in waiting and allowing evil to fulfill its purpose until the last one hears. Feel free to jump in at any time. But I was just reflecting on some of these things where that the problem, like the existence of evil, I mean, I think we all know that we're capable of it. I think we all know that that can, we have evil thoughts and intentions. We've done even, I think we could all, Tribute something like, I've done an evil thing, I've done evil against someone, done evil against myself, done evil against God. And I think there is that, the reality of free will and who God has created us to be and how he's created us to have will and agency and all those things that creates in and of itself this problem. And I was just thinking about this God who loves us though, like he created us in his image. He created us that we might enjoy relationship with him or even in the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, he creates them in this perfect place in this perfect state, in perfect relationship, and yet, like, when faced with the choice, they, they chose to disobey. They chose an, an evil act. I was thinking about my kids. Um, 
my wife's in here, so I'll disclose things about our kids, and she'll tell me I shouldn't have done this later, probably. But uh, we've been having this little thing with our kids where it's like, where it's, I told some on the panel, like, where they're having a little trouble, both of them, a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old, they're having problems with lying lately. And one of the things that my wife and I have always said, this is, this is hey, if you lie, we'll always find out. We tell them that. We'll always find out. And you know what? We always do. One day they'll be able to hide it from, from us, but we're, we're smarter than them still. But it's those things where it's like, man, we did not teach them to lie. We did not teach it. But man, like, it just runs through their heart. It just runs right through, like, even this, like, these innocent children, you know, my perfect innocent nine-year-old, hey, she'll cracks, lie to my face. It cracks me up when parents say they learned it in preschool or they learned it down the street or they learned that, like, no, nobody has to teach us how to disobey or lie or cheat or steal or rebel. I was thinking too, like, kind of, we, we were thinking about this as we were thinking about this question. We talk about like the evil in the world. And as Patty said, like, it would just be, hey, if, if God wanted to rid evil of this world, like, it's game over. We're gone. And he will. And he will. And there is justice and there is uh, all these things. But then also, like, we look at what is God's response throughout the scriptures, throughout human history. What is his response to evil in the world? Like, I was wondering if any of you could talk to that. Like, we have this problem of evil. Like, how does God respond to it? How do we see him responding to evil? Well, he, he weeps with those who weep, right? Like, he's told us that he's, his heart breaks for those who are suffering. Yeah. He sent Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus suffered. Yeah, yeah just that, that idea that uh, although we cannot answer all the questions as to why suffering happens, why God would allow suffering, we have a God who is willing to take his own medicine. Dorothy Sayers says he enters in and suffers what none of us will ever experience. Um, talk about the unjust, the only truly good, unjust person, only truly good, fully just, righteous person was Jesus, God's son. And he took on all of our hells, the hell of every one of us who would trust in him and absorb that willingly for us. So we are the only faith where we have a suffering God who not only can sympathize with every weakness and everything we face because he lived a fully human, fully God life, but he's our merciful high priest who intercedes for us, who moves in his mercy to minister to us in our pain, that he is present with the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit. He's nearest to those. And he fills us with his spirit so that when suffering comes, it can be redeemed. We may not get the answer why suffering happens, but we get something actually a little bit better. We get a God who sees us and a God who weeps with us and a God who promises to make everything right. And for all the years I wanted a why, even with my daughter and some other, other difficult pieces of my story, as much as I wanted an answer, I would rather have the presence of a suffering savior who promises to set everything right than an answer. One of my favorite um, Christian authors, like kind of one of my favorite stories ever is about Corrie ten Boom. If you know about Corrie ten Boom, she was part of the, her family was part of the Dutch resistance during World War II. They hid Jewish, uh, Jewish people in their homes. They were caught. They were sent to concentration camps. Her sister died and her father died in the concentration camps. And there's this incredible, maybe I'll pull it up later, but there was this, this, she gave a speech and she was talking about this encounter she had some years later with one of the guards from the concentration camps, one of the people that was directly responsible for her sister's death. 
Um, and she said she saw him and she, this guy like recognized her. She'd become someone of some level of fame and notoriety and came up to her like, hey, Miss Ten Boom, I, I'm one of those guards and kind of brought an apology and a con contrite heart. And he's like, since then I've, I've met the Lord Jesus. I'm a Christian. I've been, I've been saved and all these different things. And, and Corey Ten Boom just has this moment of where she's honestly reflecting in her own heart. She said, in that moment, like, I couldn't love him. I could only hate him. Just this man that did these horrible things. I mean, you think about around the world, like think about you've had evil perpetrated against you. You've had someone do something horrible to you. This woman, Corey Ten Boom, lost her sister, her father, people that she loved. And then she had this moment of just realization of what Christ had done for her. That even in the world, like filled with, no, that is unquestionably an evil act. And yet there's a God that loves and redeems. Austin talked about this idea of people in the river and God just pursuing, 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 pulling people out that no one would perish. And she like had this moment, it's like, I'm no better than this man. And she said, she extended her hand and said, you know, God be with you. I forgive you. And it was just, she felt the fullness of the power of the gospel. That even though we live in a world of evil, that there is a God who loves us, that he seeks us, that he suffered with us, and he's by our side in all of these things. And that's such a great illustration of even Jesus' parable of the wheat and the weeds. We, we look at a person and we think they are, they are, they are a weed. They are a purely evil, deserve judgment and hell, but we do not know their full story. We do not know the story that God knows. And we look at somebody like Saul of Tarsus who becomes Paul and becomes just this wrecking ball for the kingdom. But if there had been a moment before, he could have looked like a weed. He could have looked like somebody that should be annihilated by God, but God, because he is patient and because we don't know, we all want justice, but there's only one person who can see all things. There's only one person who can execute justice like with a scalpel instead of a machete. There's only one person who can really meet out justice the way that it, that it, that it redeems and teaches and, and glorifies him, and, and that is our God who is both the just and the justifier. So it's just pretty fascinating to me that Jesus in that parable also talks about that as the weeds and the wheat grow up together, something good is happening in the wheat. That as we live in a world of evil, something happens in our own sanctification. And Ashley, you kind of mentioned this a little earlier that this contrast then of what is good as we see what is evil and we, we, are, we, we see these moments like Corey Ten Boom where this, this, be this beauty that comes out of something horrible. And yes. so we see the glory of God. It's almost like a diamond on, on a black fabric that shines all the greater. Ashley, did you want to unpack that a little bit for us? Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, just God from creation has separated things, right? From the beginning of creation, we do see that. We see that separating um, in all things. And it, it kind of makes me think of um, Luke 12, two through three, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark, you've heard in the daylight and what you've whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. And that kind of, while you were talking, Ryan made me think of that verse in there where, where we check our own hearts. And even as a believer, we don't get it right. You know, often, like you said, like we would all be annihilated. We would all be out of here and having those moments where, 
you have hurt with people. And I know in my own life, I've had moments where I'm like, man, I'm convicted because I know in this verse that God sees my heart in this moment, sees, you know, the lack of love in my heart. And Lord, help me love this person through your eyes and just having to pray for that and pray through that and recognizing, whoa, you do see the bad Lord, but you see the good. And we see that in society, like even in front of people, we don't know what's behind going on behind closed doors. Um, but yeah, just that contrast of all of it. But the badness that we see is just engulfed by the goodness of God. And that ultimately, like that goodness, he is instilled in our hearts to see, which is why we see that bad in the world, because he's gifted us in some of that image bearing in him, that goodness, so that we can discern and see, man, this, this world is broken. This world is hurting. Lord, give me a heart for your people that are hurting. And how does that compel me to share your word and share your gospel, not letting the doctrine of hell, um, you know, we, we know that fire and brimstone and standing out on the street with a sign generally isn't the way to get people over. But when we let that fulfill that urgency and remind us like, Lord, we are here to share your love to your people. I think, I mean, I'm going to jump down then to that question because I feel like sometimes Perhaps maybe some of you in this room that you are believers, you've been, you're, you would say that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. You've wrestled, you know, kind of what I was mentioning. You may have wrestled with this doctrine. Like someone might bring it up to you and you're like, hey, like you, someone might say like, do you actually believe in hell? Like how does a good God do that? And Ashley kind of talked about like that kind of sense of urgency that it might create in us. Uh, Austin talked about this weekend, like that kind of, that we who maybe are standing on the shore, we who have been rescued, we have been pulled out of this river that's heading down to destruction. You know, how for you all, when you're thinking about where God has placed you, all of us are, we work here, are employed here at the church, and we're in, like, feel called to ministry and to kind of vocational ministry, where that's what we do with our lives. And so I feel like part of it's just like, how does this doctrine, how does it impact you? Like, what is it, where does it create that sense of urgency? Um, you know, Ashley, you called that, it's like, we're not, you will not probably see any of us, I would imagine, on a street with a, a street side with a sign saying, like, you're going to hell, repent. But at the same time, we do believe that you should be repent and be saved. You should be baptized. You should know the Lord Jesus, and you will have an eternity in heaven. And we do believe that there's actually this place called hell where if you don't submit to the Lordship of Christ, that is your destination. Um, so how does that, like, impact you in what you do? How does that, or does it, or where have you uh, maybe like even last Sunday, you were thinking, man, I have not actually been challenged by this or thought about this. I think it puts things in perspective, right? So like there can be a natural fear of embarrassment or, you know, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, maybe this is the moment to like bring up my own story or talk to somebody about the gospel. And maybe I am tempted to feel like, ah, oh, that's just awkward, or I'd rather not, because um, it would be easier not to. But then when you think about that we were created for eternity, um, it really puts that kind of momentary hesitation into, into some healthy perspective, like, you know what, I'll be okay. Yeah. And maybe, maybe, this is an maybe this is a time for me to take that opportunity. Actually, I feel like you're in this kind of, Ashley helps, is the ministry director for our cafe. And if you don't know, I mean, it's not just this business that we run here at the church. It's intended to be a ministry to people, like a place where an easy connection that you might have just a great cup of coffee and you might have warm people around you. And 
that in some way through that relationship that people might come to know Jesus, not through just giving them a tractor like four spiritual laws or something <laughs> like that, but through like an actual relationship. So when you think about those, all these people from our community, some of you I, in our church, like there's people that came to our church because initially they thought, I want Verve coffee. You know what I mean? And now they're believers. They come to church every single week. They have they had their lives transformed. So even think about that, like how does, how does this whole, how does this, all this, this doctrine, how does this, these ideas, about how does that idea, even that image of rescue people out of a river, how does that impact like your kind of day-to-day and your team? Yeah, absolutely. That's a regular thing we talk about in the team because the reality is there's a lot of people and relationships go a long way and relationship building goes a long way, but ultimately unless they accept the Lord, I'm not going to see him on the other side of glory. And that's, you know, that, that hurts your heart. You know, it hurts your heart knowing that these people that you build and develop relationships with, you you might not see, you might not be rejoicing in heaven with. But I think it's simultaneously important with that, that we need to remember the reality of that. But it is the overflow of the love of Christ that compels us through that. I think the two things that come to mind actually are perspective and heart. And I was thinking about Russell Moore has a, a fantastic quote. I'll misquote him. Um, but I'll give you enough that you can go look it up. But he basically says the worst thing that can happen to you is not disease, is not divorce, it's not disability. Um, the worst thing that can happen to you is spending eternity in hell. And that has been done for you in Jesus. And the best thing that can happen to you isn't a great job, isn't a a fabulous house, isn't perfect friends, but it's an eternity in God's presence. And God has also given that to us in Christ. And so that really that perspective that whatever is going on is not the worst thing that can happen to me. The worst thing that can happen to me is to be eternally separated from God. And then the best thing, again, keeping that perspective. And then the other one that made me think of what you were saying, Ashley, and I do so much see this in the Cafe Four ministry, um, especially in your leadership, is that C.S. Lewis quote that we are never bumping into ordinary people. Everyone we see are, is immortal. They're going to be either everlasting splendors, more dazzling than we could ever imagine in heaven, or they're going to be horrors, more than we could ever even want to think um, and so that creates an urgency, a value of every human being as, as eternal, as you said, but also that urgency of this is, this is someone that, you know, I, I'd almost be tempted to worship in heaven when I see them in their full glory or someone who will live in eternal torment. And um, so the value of every life and the seriousness of eternity that reality that life is but a vapor, that eternity is forever. So just moving towards people, again, not judging. That's the do not judge, lest you be judged. We do not judge where somebody is going. We do not judge. We do not condemn a single heart, but we do plead um, for those who, um, yeah, who have not evidenced and professed, you know, believed in their heart and confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. I was thinking about, uh, do you all know who Penn and Teller are? We got Penn Gillette, uh, the magician comedy duo. It's amazing. Teller's the one that doesn't talk. Penn talks. Uh, Penn Gillette, I remember he had this like kind of interview. I can't remember what kind of the nature of this interview, but he's a pretty noted atheist. You know, he's not, and he talked about, uh, he did a performance once. Someone came and gave him like a Bible and invited him to just to know Jesus. And just, you know, like you have those people in your life, someone that you love and, and you're, you just admire or you just think like, man, I am mode. I, I, I want, you know, you have this heart, heart of the Lord for other people that they'd be saved to rescue. And, uh, and he, he, 
Penn Jillette just talking about, it's like, hey, I respect this guy. Like, he really, if you really believe that it's like, that there's heaven and a hell, if you really believe in that, like, if you're not, how much do you have to hate me not to tell me these things? How much do you have to hate me not to, to share the good, you know, for him, like, in his perspective, like, even for him, hey, how much do you have to hate me not to tell me about Jesus and not to tell me about how I can get to heaven? There's something, there's something to that, something in our hearts. Um, I was even thinking about around this room, I think all of us know someone in our lives that, man, maybe, maybe they've already, they've died, they've passed away. I just think about, I think about my, I have grandparents, none of my grandparents, uh, uh, three of my four grandparents have passed away, all of them did not have like a profession of faith that I knew of. And I just, I remember I had, there was a, I worked with a care pastor at the last church I was at and she was telling me um, just about the, just highlighting a little bit of this, the relentless love of God for us. And she just says, hey, we don't, we don't know we do, you know, we believe and would affirm that Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus is the only pathway to heaven. But we don't know in those moments, in those, you know, in moments of a coma where we're not, who they're seeing, what kind of interaction they're having. What we do know is we have a God that loves and perseveres. So I feel like there's a, whenever we talk about hell, it becomes very personal, right? Like you can think of someone, you think of a person. I mean, I think of people. And just, man, I hope that they're, that's not where I want them. And I just feel like what I rely on, what I keep going by, back to, is even this verse that just keeps coming up for me. It's that Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone, not want, do you hear that? Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Throughout the scriptures, it kind of, it, 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 over and over again, talks about the Lord, the Lord, he's, slow to anger, abounding in love and kindness. He has steadfast love for all people that passes on from generation to generation. So even as we talk about these things, it motivates our heart because it's reflective of the heart of God. That's the heart of God for us, for each and every person in this room, for some, those of you who have already given your life to the Lord. That is his heart for you, and he has put that heart on all, for all of us. His spirit dwells inside of us, and it gives us those things. So I just wanted to call that up because I think even in this room like you're thinking of a person but you have a God that relentlessly pursues that's our God the next question I love these questions because they're like super real so good. they're very real it's like we kind of combine these two two questions if God is all powerful why doesn't he just kill Satan? You know, like, why doesn't he just put an end to this thing? Why doesn't he knock it out? And the second uh, question, which we thought was similar, is like, what about the uh, transformation? Sometimes, uh, you know, I feel like everyone asks this question at some point. Like, my daughter was asking me these the other week, um, literally, because it makes me think it's thought-provoking. It says, what about uh, the tr- possibility about the transformation or salvation of the enemy? Like, What about like demons? Can they, you know, convert back and all these different things? And why not? Um, Why can't they be like, are they kind of in the same way, like sinners like us as humans? Yeah. So as we, from what we know of scripture, a lot of scripture, especially um, in Ezekiel, which is where we, where we believe we see the fall of Satan is symbolic. So we want to be careful with genre, but most believe that Satan did fall before the creation of man 
and that he took a third of the angelic beings with him. But Satan is an angelic being, not or was an angelic being, not a human. And so when he fell, um, when he rebelled against God, pride, the root of this the origin of all sin, um, he again took a third of the angels with him, and that is where we have our origin of God's enemy, and and then the demons. Well, at the, at that fall, then we see in the garden that he is if he if he cannot get to God, he will go after what God loves most. So that also tells us something that when an enemy is after us, it is because he knows God loves us so much. So he tries to get get at us. So why can he not be redeemed? Well, there's no plan of salvation for angels. There's a plan of salvation for humans. Add what Adam failed to do, Jesus came to be the, 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 the righteous Adam, uh, Romans 5. So what Adam failed to do, Jesus did do. Um, Jesus crushed the serpent's head. What Adam didn't do in the garden was what he was supposed to do. So Jesus crushes the serpent's head and puts in motion God's eternal plan for us to find a way of salvation, that great exchange of our sinful life for Christ's perfect life, and then his righteousness put back on us. We see no plan of salvation for angels. So part of what theologians think, believe about this too, is that angels have a full knowledge. It was an epic rebellion on Satan's part. They had a full knowledge and full presence of God. We have a knowledge dimly, right? We're still learning and growing, and we still won't know all of who God is until we see him face to face. But the angels had access to God's presence, and they had full knowledge of him, and they rebelled. So that kind of rebellion is not going to repent or be redeemable anyway. But again, we would need a plan of salvation for angels. I guess we'd need an angel to come down and sacrifice its life for an angelic being. So that's why we believe that Satan is not a human um, and so therefore does not fall into the plan of salvation that's set out for God. He is a very real enemy, though, that we do know in Revelation will be thrown into a pit when God ends evil, when full justice has has been met out, um, he will be destroyed and and all those with him. Yeah. And I feel like even so some of these questions we're going to answer and you're thinking, I've never thought about that before. And someone asked it on. But you know what? These are like now when somebody asks you, are you ready? Yeah, you got it. Now you're just like, hey, yeah, what Patty said. Um, I think the reality, (laughs) too, is. Like one of the theme verses that we kind of thought about tonight uh, was just like the secret things belong to the Lord. There Deuteronomy is a, twenty nine twenty nine. If you have not memorized it, it is a really good memorized one. <laughs> give them the whole. Give them the give them the verse. Oh, Ashley, is it memorized? The secret things belong no, to the I Lord. Don't the rest of it. Oh no, I'm sorry. Putting you on the spot. So the second part is. is <laughs> now we'll cool. memorize it. I, I quote that one every time. I don't want to answer a question, but let me give you the whole thing. Um, that was a real good mom one. Um, Mom, why is the world round? Okay, the hidden things belong to the Lord, our God, but the revealed things belong to us and our children forever so that we may follow all the words of this law. Hmm. Now think about how that applies to these questions about the origin of evil. The hidden things belong to the Lord, our God, but the revealed things belong to us and our children forever so that we may follow all the words of this law. And I think that's one of those things that um, has really helped me in, in those areas of doubt is if I were to press into what I know to be true, that God would, would at the cost of his own life, want to redeem me, if I press into that truth, then the things that I can't solve become far less um, crippling, I would yeah. say. So, so what if we leaned into what we do know and we leaned into, um, instead of trying to figure out why God would allow, we, we join the rescue effort of Jesus and we are a part of seeing souls 
come to Christ? What if we leaned into what we know to be true? We lean into what has been revealed. I wonder if some of these questions would would be answered in a supernatural way and in yeah. terms of peace, um, in terms of hope. I don't know. Well, I was thinking too, even as we're talking about that. So on the one hand, I bring that up because sometimes like the Bible gives us, God reveals to us what he wants to reveal to us. And he doesn't reveal to us every, everything. We don't have, uh, I think I mentioned this the other week that, that God is infinite and we'll never be infinite. We're eternal souls. We'll live on forever and ever and ever, but we're not infinite. There is a depth. There's a, there's a floor to who we are. There's a kind of a quantifiableness to us. And God is unquantifiable. He knows more than we could possibly know. He's infinite. And so we're like, sometimes it's like, what is this? And I think we'll have a better understanding of it at some point on the, maybe on the other side of it when we're in glory. But on the other hand, it's like, we get kind of what we get, we got received and we know that we live in this world. We have an act like these acts of faith, these moments where we have to say, okay, God, I don't quite get this one part, but I'm going to trust in your goodness. I'm going to trust that you love the world so much that you gave your only son. I'm going to trust that you would, that you are patient, that you want none to perish. But I was thinking about, Han- like, Hannah is one of our, I think I mentioned this last time, I don't know if it embarrasses you when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I'm sorry. But Hannah is newer in the faith, and we were talking about whenever we do a sermon, a little peel behind, peek behind the curtain, when we get ready for sermons, we do, a, we have a little team, and we get together, and we, we whoever's pr- giving the sermon, so Austin Payne a couple weeks ago was, gave us, like, a version of this sermon so that we could get feedback and thought. And Hannah kind of talked about, like, her own, like, before putting her faith in Jesus Christ, like the doctrine of hell was very strange to her and kind of felt like, and I feel like there's probably someone in this room, like whether you're a Christian or not, that it's just, you have a hard time with it. And I just, I wanted to ask you like, what was it like before God? And now you kind of express like, hey, I, I understand it now. Like what, what changed? Like what was, it? tell us where you started and how you got to where you are. I used to be on the receiving end of the, the picketing, you know, the, the sign. Yeah, you're the sign. going yeah. to hell and stuff yeah. like that. Um, I remember distinctly several situations where I was in where that was definitely directed towards me and my my the people I was with. So I was I was always just kind of like that's you know that's that's sort of weird. I if you're gonna say that God is all powerful. Um, and, and, you know, I, here I am, I can't help, but I can't be perfect. Right. And so, so what's, what's happening here? Um, I think that through the process of, you know, coming to know who the Lord was by seeing mostly what he, he's stepped into my life in a very real way. And, uh, my life now is, is totally changed from what it was three years ago. Um, there's a piece where it's like, I can stand, I I realized I can stand here on this sinking ship, right? Like I can, Mm -hmm. I can look around and, and try to reason why, why is, you know, why is, why is there evil in the world? Why is this happening? Why? And, and go down with the ship, right? Because I can see that I hurt other people. I can see that I cause pain. I can see that these things are happening. Or I can take the salvation that has been offered to me. Um, I think there was another thing that oh, I was going to say about that, yeah. too. But If it comes back up, it, yeah. you, can, uh, you can raise your hand. Um, I just feel like there's something beautiful about that, too, where it's just... There is sometimes the question that remains, but yet, like, we have a God that reaches out. Go for it. You got it. 
It's back. I no, I was just gonna say, yeah. I mean, I don't I think it's okay to say we, you know, in the end, we don't we don't know. We can't we can't answer all of these questions, right? right? We don't know ultimately why God made us and why there or we we do know yes. why God made us, but we don't know why yes. all of this these things happen the way they yeah. do. Yeah. But there's a, a salvation that is beautiful that's being yeah. offered to us. Like, am I gonna sit here and talk about why is the ship sinking and why is this, or am I going to get off and I'm going to get into a lifeboat? Yeah, let's get off this sinking. It's kind of like, is what we, is what we know enough for what we don't know? Really, was it comes down to, I think, for Christianity, it, yeah. For me, it was always, growing up Catholic, I just, heaven, hell, hell made sense. Heaven didn't make sense. You're right. And for me, you know, being caught up even in a purgatory world, um, I was super close to my grandfather. He was my guy, had a rough, um, yeah, rough early years. So he was my guy. And he died when I was seven. And it was put on, on us to get him into heaven. Mm. You know, um, you had to pray them out of purgatory. And when I finally heard the good news of the gospel, it wasn't just good news for me. It just re it released this massive burden that, really? Is heaven really real? I, I didn't have an issue with hell being real. Maybe it's because of my childhood. But I did have an issue with, can we really get into heaven that easily? Like, can we really be in the presence of God and in the absence of everything that is painful and awful and horrible in this world? Can we be in perfect relationship and perfect new creation? Can we really have heaven? And so I think even the, the whole injustice of, well, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, but the sun rises also. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm a, I don't know if that makes me a glass half full or glass half empty, but yeah. I'm kind of more amazed that the sun rises, you know, rather than that the rain falls on the just, that the sun rises on the unjust, that God is so good and his common grace. He continues to speak through creation and through one another, and he keeps declaring his glory, and the sun comes back up the next morning and gives us another mm. chance. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I'm blown away. I was just, I always think about the thief on the cross. You know, there's these thieves in there. You know, in some of the, in the, some of the gospels, it talks about these two guys just hurling insults in Jesus, but in Luke, you see that one of them at some point just like realizes has a kind of an, a revelation and epiphany about who Jesus is and just says, Jesus, remember me when you come into my kingdom. I mean, like, think about who this guy is. Like, he is a criminal. Unlike Jesus, he deserves to be on that cross for whatever he did. He's being punished by a government, and he, he, he acknowledged that himself. He says about himself and the other thief, like, hey, we're here, rightly so. We're being executed because we messed up. But this guy, he's something different. Jesus, remember me when you come into your, into your kingdom. And then Jesus just responds, like, it just responds with, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. No membership class at church, no baptism, no quiet time the next day, none of those things. Like, so there's this no amazing, purgatory. No purgatory. It's like, you're, today you'll be with me in paradise. And there's something, that's what God calls us towards. Like, that's the pursuit of God. It's not one of, get all this stuff right, then you'll make it. Hannah, you are like trumping at the bit. Go for it. Yeah. I was just going to say, um, I think it's also helpful to be aware of the sort of way that our particular culture conditions us to, oh, you're a good person. You know, your own truth is inside of you, sort of a, a situation. And it's just helpful, not the answer to everything, but helpful to look at pretty much no other culture, yeah. no other people throughout time has really thought that. They pretty much were yeah. like, 
yeah, we kind of, if you're honest about it, we kind of, you know, things aren't that yeah. great. And so, so it's just helpful why, to be aware of our... So that's why always heaven was a bigger idea to me because I'm older and I, I just can't, this whole culture of we're all good. I was already an adult. I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's it. Yeah. You just cleared, clarified it for me, Hannah. I've read a really good book about it lately. I could recommend it to you. It's about American politics and it yeah. talks about that. Anyway, I won't get into that. It's too big. <laughs> And I'm going to talk about it, I think, when I talk about yeah. my question in a couple of weeks. So come back for that. Um, yeah, because it's true. It's not just our culture, but it's new in our culture. I guess new. the point I'm making is that it's only been in the last maybe 20 years yeah. that we have been con this, with the self-esteem mm -hmm. movement that we have, which has been a psychological movement that has invaded the church and w where we have really convinced everybody they're awesome. Yeah. And so therefore, um, but yeah, maybe because... Yeah. I'm a child of the 70s and 80s. Yes. I get I, that I deserve hell. Yes. I don't know. You think that's it, guys? <laughs> I was just thinking about, like, Keller said, used to say this all the time, that we're, and Austin mentioned it, quoted him on Sunday, that we're more evil and wicked than we could possibly imagine. Like, we, sometimes we let ourselves off that we're worse than we possibly imagine, but, but conversely, we're loved more deeply, more fully, and more wholly than we could possibly imagine, too. Like, God really, he loves us. And you just think about your life. Like, think about this whole, I just think about this all the time. Um, it's just become like this new awareness in my life. Just, he actually loves me. He actually loves me. He thinks about me. He calls us his beloved. And I had this, sorry, I was just having this moment. I was at this like retreat, like in this last year. And I just, I've, I feel this presence of God. You do too. Like when you pray, when you are out in nature, you feel his presence in your life. Maybe you have those stronger and weaker. And we were having this moment as a bunch of, there's all these other believers there. And I was having this conversation with God. And I don't know how you think about your conversations with God, but I feel like God's like right here. And he's like right above my head or something like that. And I'm kind of talking to him. And I was looking around all these people and I'm like, he's right there with that person and with that person, with that person, with that person. Like you're so beloved. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows all these, all the days of your life. He knit you together in your mother's womb. God loves you so desperately and so deeply. And again, like he loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. And that Jesus loved you so much that he was willing to take that, that he was willing to bear our sins, to bear the, the wrath of God, like the fullness of like that judgment. Man, it's just, it's wild. It is wild. Like, you know, you think about, yeah, sorry. I think we think of a lot of us, not maybe not all of us, show hands, we think of God accepting us as um, a criminal that's been acquitted, but really it's a child that's come home. It's not a criminal that's been acquitted. And that took me a long time yeah. because of my baggage too, of recognizing that God didn't just, um, God didn't just save me to make himself look good. It was in love, Ephesians 1 and 2. It was love that motivated God to have this plan of salvation. It was in love in which he called each of us to himself. So we're not criminals acquitted. We're so, so much more. We're prodigals that have been brought back home, and we've been wooed home by the love of a God um, who, again, wants us at the cost of his own life.
So let's keep talking about this question about hell. So the question that came in that one of you asked is, why would a loving God send people to hell? Isn't he sovereign over all? Why would God create people knowing that they will rebel and be eternally condemned? That's the big thing, right? Like you might be wondering, like, why did he, why does he allow that? There's a quote from Tim Keller's book, The Reason of God, um, that I think is going to answer the flip side back to it that I'll tie back in. The biblical picture is that sin separates us from the presence of God, which is the source of all joy, indeed of all love, wisdom, or good things of any sort. Since we were originally created for God's immediate presence, only before his face will we thrive, flourish, and achieve our highest potential. If we were to lose his presence totally, that would be the hell loss of our capability for giving or receiving love or joy. And even in scripture, we see the one unforgivable sin is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you know, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit because we can't, you can't recover if you don't have God. You can't recover if you don't have the Lord in your heart. And we were created to worship God him in his fullness and in his beauty without sin. And so if we remove him from that picture, we don't get to experience joy, love, peace, any of these things, because it's just by the common grace that we get to enjoy those things today here on earth. If we're totally honest, we talked about this in our office on and off all day today, oh, just yeah. like thinking about this. It's a big question. <laughs> yeah. For me, I, I think it's okay to say that we don't know the way that all of this works, but you can, I think a lot of, sometimes if you're not, if you're not bought in, into Jesus yet, you can fall into a trap of trying to reason your way through some of these things that have been kept from us. We don't know all the secrets of the universe, right? Um, and you can fall into a trap of thinking, I have to figure all of this out before I can trust this God. And while that's tempting, the ship is sinking, right? We have a few years here on earth to, to accept Jesus and to follow him and to figure out how we're, and you know, you can look around, look at other religions, look at other philosophies, look at other Nobody has, if there was a satisfactory slam dunk answer to this question, in the thousands of years of human history, we would have come up with something. And, and we haven't landed on something that's like, oh yeah, solved it. Um, but we have been, again, offered a way off of this sinking ship and Jesus you know, is offering us that salvation. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's this beautiful thing, right? Like, you're right. I mean, just even as we're asking these questions, it's the invitation to you is to keep asking those questions. Like, go hold it up. Hold it. You know, one of the things that's come up week after week in the sermon series um, for Explore God is just, okay, there's always, there's this leap of faith that has to happen. But at the same time, like, go evaluate. Go evaluate. See, look for yourself and see, like, does, does any other worldview, religion, philosophy offer a way of freedom? Does any other world religion have a God that suffers for in the place of his people and offer, say, I suffered for you and I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to give you salvation. I'm going to give you forgiveness, not based on what you do, not based on how you act, but based on my love and compassion and grace for you. So it is a great, like that invitation. It's not always, we may not get to that most satisfactory answer. 
of like, why does evil exist? Why, like, what's the deal with hell? Like, I th- yeah, I think there's just that one piece that's so important too that we, again, back to our culture, we define love a certain way. And when we say God is loving, he absolutely is. He is the definition of love. All our definitions of love actually submit to his. Um, he, God is love. He is a relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit. And as Austin pointed out, you know, love hates that which harms those, harms the people that you love. And God, God is just and he is holy and his presence, he, he cannot have anything sinful in his presence. And that's exactly why he gave us Jesus so that our sin could be paid for and we could be in his presence. But apart from Jesus, we are children of wrath because God hates that which harms those he loves. And it's, it's a doctrine we want to pull back from, but it is a doctrine we do need to stand for and then get to work. I, I completely agree. It's just important also to recognize, I really truly believe as I look at the scriptures, that anyone that he is sending, if we want to use the word sending, he is weeping as they go to hell. That is not his heart. He says, I, I do not delight even when the wicked, I, I do not delight in the destruction of the evil one, of evil. He doesn't even delight in the destruction of those who have perpetrated evil. How much more those who, um, all who, who have gone. And it was brought up earlier, you know, Jesus does say in Matthew 25 that he does send those who, who were disobedient to him, who rebel against him. He does send them to the place that was prepared for the devil and his demons. And so it, it wasn't like God was up there going, okay, I, A, B, C, D, okay, all the, you know, or one, two, three, all the threes, you go to hell and all the ones and twos, I mean, yeah, we'll see what, what I'm going to do with you. He, he wants none of us to perish. He wants all of us to come and I truly believe that as, as he does send because he is holy, he also weeps. We see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. We see Jesus weeping at death and destruction. Yeah, I was even thinking about when uh, one of this, these great acts of love and understanding and mercy, I was thinking about Jesus when he's being nailed to the cross. One of the things he's, he says is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even in the you know, they're crucifying to a cross. They, in, on a kind of cognitive level, level they know they're, they're k- killing this man. They're executing this man. And, and Jesus, his heart is, Father, forgive them. And just like attributes ignorance to it instead of, of anger and all these things. There's something beautiful about it. And then I was also thinking with this, going back to kind of what Austin said, and I think it seemed like based on all the head nodding at the beginning, you all resonated with that we also have a part to, we have our part to play, part. that there's a part of, in this salvation narrative, and in the sin and hell, all those narratives, that's like, it is also the human heart. It is the nature of our free will. Um, it's the nature of the choices that we make. Uh, Romans 1 talks about this idea. Throughout the scriptures, there's an idea of like, God has revealed himself. Now We are without excuse. Yeah, yeah. we're without excuse. And I think that we even see that when people, you, you, you go out, maybe be, you can think about you looking at the Milky Way. I don't know if you've ever been in like the backcountry in a place where there's not a lot of city lights and you can just see the band of the Milky Way and you just in awe. I was just out. Like I have friends that are that don't believe in the Lord that are would consider themselves atheists, but there's just a sense of awe and wonder. There's something out there. I feel like that resonates with the human heart. I think we all feel that. Uh, in McLaughlin's book, you should, I, honestly, 
read this book. It's amazing. And again, I can't forget the it's title. It's fantastic. And there's one for teens, it's too. There's a version for teens. So if you're a parent of a teen, you might want to pick up that one, too. She's written a version. Yes, I like that idea. So Confronting Christianity, thank you. Uh, but she was talking about um, this atheist philosopher, Sam Harris, and just basically just that we're kind of just biomechanical machines, that there's no moral right or wrong, that we're just the product of science, of hormones, of chemicals, of our upbringing. And man, like, I just feel... Has anyone heard that kind of argument before? We're just a product of our environment, all these things. Like, I think when we all like even look at that, we know that that can't, that's not enough. It's not true. <laughs>